At American University, we don't just hope for change. We create it. We don't just dream of a better world. We make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout D.C. to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash grad school. At American University, we don't just hope for change. We create it. We don't just dream of a better world. We make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout D.C. to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash grad school. Hey everyone, welcome to Reality TV Rehap Ups for Episode 6 of Season 7 of The Amazing Race Canada, in which teams traveled to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. My name is Jessica Lees, and here with me is a guy that I've never known to shy away from petting a pot-bellied pig, Mr. Dan Heaton. <laughs> Hi Jess, how are you? I, I'm super. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, I I never knew... That having flat land like we have in Missouri, mostly in Saskatchewan would make people that live there so happy. That was that was something I learned this week. Well, I've heard that the provincial motto of Saskatchewan is see Saskatchewan stand on a chair <laughs> or um, look back and see no one especially good for when you're on the Amazing Race Canada. I feel like you always want to know at least where the other teams are, even if you can't see them. Well, apparently with the flat land, though. You would know if they were there, but they weren't. So it worked out. I don't know, you know, but hey, fun episode, though, I thought. I mean, I this felt more like you're kind of I hate to say straightforward, but more your kind of typical Amazing Race Canada episode. We had a little bit of drama, but for the most part, it was a lot of kind of things that you'd expect to see on the show. Yeah, I would agree with that. It was very much a step back from the intensity of the last couple of weeks. I feel like there was comparatively little controversy here. Nobody took a penalty. We have some strategic decisions that I guess we'll get into as we go through. And of course, we had the scene that opens the leg in the airport, which I think we'll probably have to kick off things with. But for the most part, this really, I would almost say it was a little too low key for my tastes. I feel like this is the leg so far that has most resembled a version of the amazing grace that fans might stage in their own hometown for their own entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if they were doing their own, would you hire like a local square dancing group though, to do it? That'd be the question, but I, I probably think they wouldn't be that expensive. So maybe they could do that. I, I think most square dance organizations are strictly volunteer. <laughs> that is true. They're not not for profit in order to bring in the giant boon for square dancing. But yeah, you know, it's one of those things, too, where I feel like you do want to have a bit of a balance between craziness and though the way I just said that, it makes me kind of think I was going to say like boredom, but I wasn't bored. But you pretty much knew, right? This was not elimination. You kind of even sensed it with the way this the episode was edited. They did try to introduce some tension near the end about like with some some fake editing, which we haven't seen much of this season, but we all pretty much knew where this was going, right? I didn't see any surprises myself. No, it really seemed like we were due for one. And it was also there was a little bit less urgency to everything. Yeah, I mean, it was teams for the most part, even Dave and Arena, all the teams seemed to be for having a good time. I mean, well, setting <laughs> aside the airport and setting aside Arthi, most of the teams seem to be having a good time. What I mean by that is I think. I think it a lot has to do with the editing because I'm sure that teams were getting nervous and there was more tension that we saw. But I think the show itself kind of made an effort here to say, we're going to go to a new province. It's not British Columbia. I mean, new province for this season, what I mean. And we're going to go do some things that are native to the area and that are kind of fun. And we're just going to have an episode of the show and then we're going to move forward. Yeah, I don't think there's a single task this episode that we will ever discuss again at any point. It was fine. I don't have any quibbles with it. 
it was less about where they were and what they were doing and more about who they were. I think this leg was an opportunity for all of the racers to really show us who they are and to get some interesting personality moments and some real like character content that we have not really gotten to this point. Everybody's been kind of one sentence and I feel like we got a whole paragraph from everybody this episode. Yeah, and I think that's something we probably can focus on as we go along because we had several longer background stories and some that had, you know, pictures and such. But really, I do think that one benefit of having several non-elimination legs in a row, two out of three, you know, is that you do have more time to get to know the teams. We're at the point now we're in the final six and I feel like I know all these teams well and I can kind of see, you know, what their strengths and weaknesses are, what they are, how they, their background, some of the things they've gotten through, especially a few of them. And I think that's good. And I'm hoping now that means next week we'll kind of ramp up again, which I think we probably will. And we'll really kind of kick the part of the race that I tend to enjoy, which is these like when they're six, five, four, where they tend to really just roll these legs out at full force. So I hope that's going to happen. I think signs are pointing to that for sure. But let's go up to the top of the leg and let's start out with what we see in the Nanaimo airport, uh, because this is probably the most heated confrontation I've ever seen on Amazing Race Canada. For sure. I've never seen I've never seen that kind of argument. Because mostly people are so huggy and even you have people in confessionals saying, I don't really like that team or that team is my competition. But you never see a direct head to head confrontation on this level. And I think we should break this all down a little bit. Yeah. And it was interesting, too, because I didn't expect it was Dave and Arena kind of started the conversation. I know they could sense the awkwardness going back to the last leg and even the leg before. But they started the conversation, which kind of took me aback. It's like, oh, this is interesting. Maybe they're going to come kind of do a bit of a, I wouldn't say an apology, but a bit of a, yeah, we know we might be too intense. However, we, we, you know, we're just trying to win and such. Instead, they kind of took a different approach, which was to kind of go to the other teams and say, hey, we don't really like the fact that the five of you see the five teams seem to be working together to try and get us out. We don't think that's fair. And I think that approach, and I get where they're coming from, in terms of they do feel like everyone's out to get them. However, it's also possibly based on some of their behavior. But it was interesting they took that approach and then that sort of led to some back and forth about what happened and it just kind of took off from there. Yeah. And let's talk about this accusation that is on the table here because I think this betrays a real lack of self-awareness on the part of Dave and Arena that I think is why, to me, they are less effective as villains. Because you can't picture, and I, I hate to keep going back to this well, but you can't picture like Boston Rob and Amber waltzing in and being like, why are you guys against me? I think they really don't realize that this is the role they're playing. And I think a team that was really committed to being the villains would not care. They would just be like, of course, you're all against us because we're going to win because we're the best. Yeah. And that is the difference. And especially, I think, now that we kind of know that she hasn't really seen the show and he has. But um, I think, you know, they came in genuinely, genuinely, they're looking at it and going this what's up? We're all competing evenly and not thinking, well, yeah, when you kind of act the way you have, or at least give off that impression, you're kind of setting that up, especially, you know, the taking of the penalty, but also what Dave did last week, which was totally within the rules. But you saw by doing that, then they kind of took it from there and led some people. And I thought the responses were really interesting too. the different types of responses that um, Anthony had and that also Trish had where they this kind of opened the door, though, to kind of say, OK, you guys think this. Here's what we think and why we were doing that. And granted, this we probably saw a fairly cut down version of what was likely a much longer conversation. But at least going by what we saw, I was um. I don't know. I thought it was interesting to see how the teams responded and also how Dave and Arena responded to what the other teams said, which that was interesting to me. But I know I'm jumping ahead. So, you know, we can go into what Anthony said first if we're ready to talk about that. I mean, sure. I don't think you're jumping ahead at all because I feel like that's exactly how it was portrayed to us. I think we just got all of the high points. Like, I'm sure this actual conversation took at least half an hour. 
probably longer. And the producers were just sitting there taking notes, like, here are all of the high points. And then they just literally gave us all of those high points. It was like a whole tasting menu of this confrontation. Yeah. And especially because Anthony basically says, yes, we were working against you. And Dave, I think, was a little surprised. Like, oh, really? You admit it? And he's like, well, yeah, we admit it. But the interesting thing was Anthony spun it in a way, which I think is true, is like, hey, you're a strong team. We want to beat you. And I could see that, you know, with somebody like Dave, who's such a competitor, who actually won another world title very recently, apparently last week. Congratulations, Dave. Yeah, I saw the knockout. It was pretty, pretty impressive. But basically, as a competitor like that, where Anthony says, well, you guys are strong. Of course, that makes sense to them. Because, oh, yeah, yeah, we're strong. And I think that's partially true. But I don't think that the this tenor of how everything went would just be because they're strong. But that response kind of makes sense. And then we have Trish jump in and say, well, you stole my answer. And then again, it's the thing where I think Trish expected him to be like, oh, no, or kind of make excuses. And Dave's like, yeah, that was the most Boston Rob like thing we saw in the whole yep. conversation. He was like, yeah, I did it. I I don't feel bad about it. And all the teams kind of laughed a bit like. Yeah, that makes sense. But then it kind of took off from there. <laughs> it went in a different direction. I mean, we talked about this in the cast preview well before we knew what any of these teams were about. We said there are two teams here that have flagged their hot tempers as potential weaknesses on the race. And those two teams were Arena and Dave and Arthi and Tanesh. And lo and behold, their arguments are never directed inward, but the two women in these groups that have noted that they are they have epic fights end up having an epic fight with each other or what passes for an epic fight on Amazing Race Canada. And I was kind of appalled uh, at Arena's reaction to this because it seemed pretty innocuous. It seemed like Arthi was actually coming at it initially from a place of, I want to just get this out in the open and then we can move forward. And then just to have Arena like do the SpongeBob meme with the alternating capital letters back at her. That was a little weird. Yeah. And I think that's what really escalated it because, you know, she was like, you're not being respectful. And they showed this in the preview last week because this is like the, the big highlight of it. And that's really where it took off from there where you saw Arthi was like, I don't know. Dinesh had to hold her back and such. And and here, this is a case where, yeah, I thought the way Marina responded was really not great. But I hate, I don't want to get too on my moral high horse here because, you know, again, we're seeing an edited version and the teams are fighting. What I found even more interesting than that was as much, well, there were a few things. Well, first, first I would have mentioned, which Lauren posted this picture. <laughs> if you really watch this, this, I went back and watched this tonight. Watch Sam during all of this. Sam has this like Calgary magazine. He's sitting at the airport and just kind of hanging out and chilling. And they, they got a screen grab that Lauren posted. Um, And he just looks like has this look and it shows up the thing where he's like, what the heck? He's just like, how do I get out of here? There's a few teams that kind of want to get out of here at this point. And he's more like, and this is totally with how Sarah and Sam have kind of done the, done the, show so far like i don't want any part of this but, but i that made me laugh pretty hard when i rewatched it after she posted that but to get to the end there basically um arena does then apologize but and they they hug but obviously there's still something hanging there because arthi is still very upset and had to kind of step out and that's where i think it ended as well as it possibly could given how where it was going I mean, the team seemed to have some sort of understanding because you saw the rest of the leg. And I don't know if the show was playing this up. For the most part, you didn't see anything. Dave and Arena seemed as happy as they'd been the whole season during this leg after this point. So I wonder if it helped to kind of have an airing of grievances at that point. Yeah, it did seem like it was cathartic, at least for Dave and Arena. And I think it's very possible they walked away from this thinking, oh, well, everything is fine now. They love us again and we're all friends. She at least is that low in self-awareness that I could see that happening. But I did want to flag Tanesh in all of this because I thought that he did a miraculous job of you know separating Arthi from the conflict and listening to her and taking her outside. And he you could tell that this is something that he's not He's not a stranger to this. He knows when she's going to go off and he knows how to calm her down. He knows the right things to say and he's a great listener. And it's like, we should all have a partner on The Amazing Race like Tanesh. We should all have a partner in life like that. I think he has 
gotten some flack from viewers for being a little too laid back, but I think he did such a great job this leg, like just the perfect partner in every sense. Yeah, even the way that he just was having her breathe and such. Yeah, you can sense that, yeah, they've had this. I mean, I don't want to make super assumptions. They had some something like this before, but um, but yeah, and I also he easily could have turned it around and escalated it by then kind of I I don't know what the word is, but, you know, because you could tell that Arthi and Arena were, you know, was getting heated and he did not then step in and kind of try and yell back or make something crazy. They kind of stopped it, which I think for everyone probably was the good thing there. I think everybody hit a point where I think they forgot for a second that cameras were on them and then they remembered again and they came back around to, well, if we keep up like this. This is not going to be reflecting well on us on television. We're supposed to be representing Canada. Let's chill out. And I think you kind of see that moment of realization. And I know that from accounts that I've heard from people that have been on various reality shows, you really do start to forget the cameras are there or that anybody's ever going to watch this back, except it does hit you at odd moments. And I think over the years, it's become easier and easier to remember that, like as the collective consciousness gathers more and more hours of reality TV watching experience, I think you can start to have those moments of realization sooner. But you kind of saw the moment where it all turned and it's like, oh, we need to we need to calm down so that we're not embarrassing ourselves on TV. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. But um, but that's where you really see these conflicts in Survivor or even on Amazing Race when they get to like killer fatigue zone, which I don't think they're there now, but you saw kind of hints of it a little bit here during this leg. And that's where teams totally forget their there's cameras. They sometimes forget. Yeah, everything. And that's where sometimes you have some great drama or great, you know, examples of whatever. I wouldn't put this under great drama. I did find it interesting. And I think it's, you know, it, the show's kind of been building to this for the last few episodes. And, but I do like the fact that it also didn't dominate the leg. We didn't have people talking about it for the rest of the leg, which I've seen episodes like that of The Amazing Race US. So it was nice that we didn't keep seeing it again and again in black and white or something in a flashback. They had it out then we moved on like, okay, let's do the leg now. Yeah, I will note that I think that we are not getting any killer fatigue because we are running fairly straightforward legs of about half a day in length and we have barely left the same time zone the entire time this race has happened. So that could be part of why we don't see as much drama. Uh, but also, yeah, I think it was good that it sort of wrapped it up in uh in a way that felt more or less satisfying although i do think it feels very abrupt to go from arena doing the mocking voice to all of a sudden oh let's hug it out and we're fine now it was it was a little too neat and i'm surprised that it never came up again but on the other hand everybody was so spread out this league you didn't necessarily see people with enough downtime to have a conversation about it either which is a testament to i guess decent leg design because if everybody's too busy competing they're all focused on that and they're not focused on the pettiness Right. Because even when there were a few points in the maze when they were very close together. But in general, you're right. There was always let's do this task. Let's go. Let's they'll pass people in the mine or whatever. There was a lot happening. And so there wasn't a case where there were no roadblocks. So there wasn't a case where teams would be stuck at a roadblock. And they're like, well, I guess we'll talk to each other because we've been here for two hours or whatever. There was it was another kind of leg that had not, you know, that didn't have one of the main what do we consider the main two tasks on The Amazing Race? So it's interesting, too, that how they've kind of adjusted the show that way. Yeah, I mean, this leg moved. It was, you know, go here, do this, do that. And nobody is sitting in any one place. And maybe maybe that's by design. Like, maybe that's the reason we didn't get a roadblock. It's possible. It's just it's been a weird season. And I this episode didn't feel as weird as last week, but it still was a little odd. So so it'll be interesting to see where we go. I think part of it might just be we've gotten used to the way that the show kind of moves with international legs and with different things. And because we haven't traveled that way, we kind of feel like, OK, we're at leg six and we haven't had the usual ebbs and flows that we tend to have on the show. So I don't know. I guess we still got, you know, five more. So a lot more can happen. But I guess we should move on to what they actually do on this leg. Yes. It, it felt like we spent a lot of time in the Interventions Pavilion at Epcot talking about Saskatoon's rich scientific and industrial history. We get to go to the Canadian light source and do nothing. And then we go to a mine. And this felt so like I'm sitting in my 
fifth grade social studies class having to take notes about the chief exports of Saskatoon. Like, okay, I don't even really know what potash is. I will confess that. I still don't really know. And they did explain it. We even had people um, in their confessionals kind of try to explain what it was, and I didn't totally get it. And just to, before we pass up your interventions reference, I will tell (laughs) you that it is closing for good in like two weeks. So RIP interventions, that building is being destroyed for what's rumored to be possibly a beer garden, which is a little weird. But if that tells you a lot about what's going on there, but getting back to the race, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I appreciate the fact that we didn't just go to a trampoline park or go to something really generic, like a nightclub or something. <laughs> I don't know. the trampoline park again, Dan. <laughs> I mean, that was Saskatoon, wasn't it? I think so. Well, I didn't even think about that. Um, Or if we go to, you know, a nightclub that's like very strange. I mean, you know, more generic stuff. There were things that were definitely specific. And I would like to learn more about Canada's brightest light because I didn't totally understand all of what was happening there in the 30 seconds that we saw of it, except for that teams ran in and were like, this is really cool but i know that that was mainly just a way to spotlight something but yeah we get to this mine and we have a root info task which is of all the things to do in a mine that looks so cool would your pick have been hang the ventilation curtain would that be the thing that is the exciting mine task i don't know already going down into the mine is you're gonna have to work to make that exciting So I'm not sure what exactly you could do that is both safe enough that nobody's in any real danger of hurting themselves. Mining is dangerous business. And also, interestingly enough, that everybody's going to have fun doing it and we're going to enjoy watching it. I don't think there is anything in that little sliver of the Venn diagram. It's true because we've seen mine tasks in the past and it's usually like shovel some dirt and find a needle in a haystack. And those are not my favorite tasks that I've ever seen on the show. They're typically or find this certain type of rock. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And I don't think we need another needle in the haystack task this week after last week. So so I think it was fine. I It did involve some skill because you saw some of the. There was some movement. You saw, of course, Anthony and James were very good at it. And, um, you know, we, we saw a few teams that took longer. Lauren Joanne took a while, a little while, and then Arthi and Thinesh. But a lot of it really related to how good was your cab, which I found interesting because this did seem like a place that would be a good opportunity to drive this area. So I found it interesting they were, again, taking cabs this time. That was odd to me as well because – It really seems like every time you throw cabs into the mix, especially when you're in a city that doesn't necessarily have a lot of cabs, I think it does throw a wrench into the works. And so it was a lot of who gets there first, and it's not necessarily up to them, any of that. And you have an automotive sponsor. I You don't even have to necessarily flag what kind of car it is. I feel like Amazing Race US, even when they didn't have an automotive sponsor, you could still drive yourselves sometimes. I don't know, is it a liability issue? Is it a budget issue? I, I'm honestly not sure. I mean, they even went to a gas station. Why not bring your car there? I don't understand. <laughs> but I don't mean to get too down on it. I thought this task was fine. I think it did show. The one thing is you had a, the teams that did really well had two people that were both doing different things and they seemed to work really well together. The teams that didn't do as well overall, it seemed like there was a little, well, really just the last team, but it was a little more one-sided. But again, we didn't get a clear view. This is one of those things where there was only one example where, you know, Larry, the the judge said no. But beyond that, it was pretty much everybody got it right. So it wasn't as clear how much time this really took. Yeah. And I think if it was something that was meant to take a lot of time, I mean, granted, after last week, it's never a given that a root marker task is going to be something quick. But I think if it was going to be something really time consuming, we would have seen it as half of a detour or we would have seen it as a roadblock somehow. Yeah, I agree. And um, yeah, because really, I feel like we can just kind of mainly... You had the teams near the front that didn't exactly come out the same way. Some teams did well. Sarah and Sam did very well. But you have the teams coming out in a fairly close to where they arrived. And then they're heading for the Shell Station for everyone's favorite event, the family video. Yeah. Also, everybody's been away from their families for like 
a month at this time and they are eating and sleeping. So I guess I've not been in this high pressure situation. I can't really say how I would react, but it's been a month at most. Get it together, everybody. (laughs) Well, I always find it interesting, too, because with the one exception of Trish and Amy, we only saw and a few like, you know, you have where Lauren and Joanne's their parents. So that's easy. But you don't always see people that relate to both contestants. And my assumption is that they probably made videos. We just don't see them all. And I always feel bad for those family members. Yeah. I'm like, you know, what about somebody for Dave or, you know, we didn't see anybody, <laughs> we didn't see anybody for Sarah. It's like, come on, you know, I mean, but I did enjoy some of them that we saw, you know, most of them were very cute. I thought Arena's parents with the dad jumping in at the left was very cute. Um, it was mostly fun. I don't know. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, maybe Dave doesn't need to hear from his parents because he's got his in-laws who are amazing. And I, I want to <laughs> see them on the Amazing Race Moldova. <laughs> yeah. And um, and apparently they always side with him in arguments. That's what I've heard. So um, so maybe that maybe it works out just fine. Yeah. I, I think he seemed totally happy to see them. And as was I, because, again, best loved ones in this segment, maybe in all seven seasons. Yeah. And I also should mention that we did learn a bit more when we were talking earlier about stories, Lauren and Joanne's parents, their mom, you know, is a cancer survivor. Their dad has had several brain surgeries. So that that's just some interesting background just about, you know, those two especially seemed really moved, especially Joanne by seeing their parents. And um, it was a nice moment. Yeah, it was it was great to also get some background from them because I think we've gotten very few character moments for them. Although I it feel it felt like even with the loved ones in here, it, we were very light on those kinds of voiceovers overall this leg. Yeah, yeah. It was we had that and we got a few. I mean there's 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 a one later that's more involved, but um it I felt like we spent about the right, right amount of time on this because like your survivor family visit or anything, there's really a fine line between Hey, I'm I'm curious about who these teams' loved ones are, and oh my gosh, move on. This felt right for me, except for we we were arriving at the Shell Station, which I don't totally get how the Shell Station relates to family videos. I've never been to a gas station and seen a video on an iPad from a family member, so I don't totally get why they had to do this at the gas station. Well, you know what they should have done. Um, Dan, did you ever see that segment on Jay Leno that made Will Sims famous? Yes, I have not seen it regularly because I didn't really watch Jay Leno, but I do remember seeing that clip. Yes, the karaoke voices telling him to sing thing, right? Yeah. So see, here's the missed opportunity. They should have done that where they they have a, a note that says, Drive to the Shell Station, because in this Sliding Doors universe, everybody is self-driving this leg because it just makes sense. Everybody's self-driving and they get the clue that says, drive to the Shell Station and fill up your tank. And then while the teams are pumping gas, there should be a little video monitor on top of the gas pump. And then their loved ones should just start talking at them. That would be good. And they'd be they or they would be like, where where are they coming from? Oh, they're right here. <laughs> it'd, it'd just be like one of those where have you ever gotten gas where they have TV playing, like telling you the weather? And I'm always really thrown off by it. I'm like, why? I don't need to know this right now. It would be that, but it would be their family members. Right, exactly. You'd you'd even have like each family member do this like, hey, Lauren, Joanne, hey, hey, look up, look up. (laughs) And then they try to talk back and it's like, oh, wait, it's only a video. It's not actually them talking to us. When you used to call and get an answering machine and people would do that gimmicky answering machine greeting where they'd pretend that they picked up the phone. That's what it would be like in my universe. (laughs) I like it. I think it's good. I think it would, you know, we're just doing some workshopping here to help the show beef up some tasks because there's nothing more thrilling. There's nothing to me that says Saskatoon like a shell gas station. I really feel like because our very own Scott St. Pierre is a Saskatchewanian, um, Saskatchewanite. uh, He's from the big square flat place and he has sent us many interesting factoids about Saskatchewan over the years, and particularly Saskatoon, which is, I believe, his hometown. And he says it's known as the Paris of the Prairies because of its nine bridges. And I feel like there's got to be a better landmark for Saskatoon than Trampoline Park and Shell Gas Station. You're really doing Saskatoon a 
grave disservice, Amazing Race Canada. You could do better. Come on. Yeah. And actually, John did reference the Paris of the Prairies at the start of the leg. So, and I forget there was another one near the end. It was like the land of the sky. I apologize. That is not what it was, but it was something like that. So Saskatchewan's got a lot going for it. I mean, come on. Let's let's do this, Amazing Race Canada. What are you doing? Yeah. I, if I was from Saskatoon, I'd be so angry right now. <laughs> Oh, all right. So we got our video clues. We're moving on to, I can't believe it, Jess, a detour. Can you believe it? We have a detour. Only the third one or a detour, if you will. Third one in six legs. I don't understand. At least we're finally getting one, you know, Uh, and we're going all the way out of town to this vacation resort. Uh, it's, It's called a vacation ranch, and it's in the town of Saint Denis, which is I think it's about an hour outside of Saskatoon is if this map is serving me correctly. And so then they get to choose between two very close things in proximity. We got dance in a square and walk in circles. And this is one of the more unbalanced detours I've seen in quite a while. Wow. If this had been like a, a U-turn at this point, the teams that got U-turn would have been in trouble. Yeah, because this is one where they, I mean, they take a dance task and the dancing actually didn't seem that hard, but the, but they add to it. This of course is with dance in a square and they add to it with having the hard part of the, of the challenge, which is memorizing like 19 or 20 lines and sticking kind of with the music, which that music is still in my head after watching it yesterday. <laughs> it hasn't gone away and it just stays there and it's the same beat like over and over and over and over again. But basically you saw David Arena's reaction. I'll, also, let me talk about the amazing race with weird editing where <laughs> Dave says we're we're switching and you have Arena go no and then they cut to commercials which made me think wow they're going to argue about this. Arena really wants to dance. She's dressed nicely. They're both and then we come back and she's like no, we're leaving. Basically like the exact opposite of what it seemed <laughs> to imply. Did you catch that when you were watching? Yeah, I I did catch that and it's it's funny because I think we do have to call out, you know, for all of the drama that Dave and Arena have swirling around them, the two of them are pretty much constantly on the same page with each other. And they're always really great to each other. And so it didn't surprise me, ultimately, that they were in agreement that they were getting out of there. Although I do think deep down, Arena was sad to lose that dress as well she should have been because she looked amazing and even Dave said so. Uh, but they're always they're always very much like it's them against the world and they're very supportive of one another. I definitely wanted to call that out. Yeah, and even like she was nervous, like, oh, I don't think I can do it before the lacrosse. And he was just kind of like, oh, and he was very supportive, you know, in a similar way to kind of what we've seen sometimes with Thinesh, where he was supportive but didn't overdo it. it was just like, oh, we're going to be good. We're going to be good. Kind of keeping that even keel which I think you really need on the show for anyone. But um, but yeah, they switched quickly and it was super smart, which as we saw when Trish and Amy chose it and to their credit, stuck it out. And it looked like Amy took to the square dancing very well, but it was really hard for Trish. And I do not blame that at all. That looked super hard. And while running through a maze took time, this was another another one of those, okay, it's going to take time, but eventually you're going to find your way out of the maze. You can't just walk around saying dead, 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 dead over and over. You're going to eventually find your way out. The dancing is one of those. It's a skill and you could be there for a long time as we saw. Yeah, this was a combination, I think, of any given dancing task plus like, for instance, the London leg of the most recent season of Amazing Race US, where they had to do the taxicab knowledge. It was that many things that you had to memorize. And the fact that only one person could do it made it that much harder. So, yeah, there's no question here that dance in a square was the not the one you want to go with. And also square dancing in general. Dan, can I pop off about square dancing for a second? <laughs> Yes, I've been waiting for this. As soon as I saw this last night, I was was like, oh, I got to tweet about this because square dancing is basically one of these things that um, notorious racist and anti-Semite Henry Ford was big into square dancing and promoted it in all of the cities where his plants were and like funneled money into youth centers that promoted square dancing because he thought that the popularity of square dancing would counteract the evils of jazz which he saw as 
an invention of the Jewish people designed to corrupt the youth. So square dancing was not something he invented. It was something that was kind of on its way out in the 1920s when all of this was going on. And Henry Ford is like, nah, I'll bring this back and it'll be wholesome activity that people can do. There won't be any drinking. It'll all be all of these very prescribed motions on the beat and everything will be very white and all of the white people will love it. And it continued throughout the 20th century. Square dancing remained popular, although I think most of the origins of its popularity have been largely obscured by history. And so I see square dancing and the history major in me is like, oh, yeah, yeah. Henry Ford, total racist. The end. Wow, this is you know I had that nice little happy jingle in my head that do 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 you know and now it's like oh it's ruined. When I think of Square Dancing, I always think there's a movie with Henry Fonda, which is a western called Fort Apache, with the weirdest Square Dancing scene I've ever seen. It's like it's so wooden and it's like two minutes long of everyone just Square Dancing, and I'm like, this is a very strange scene in the middle of this movie because he's like this like George Custer like general who's really ends up doing terrible you know messing things up, and I apologize if I'm calling the wrong movie. This is what I remember. And so, again, that movie takes place in like 1860 or something. So you get the idea. Square dancing goes back a long way. And that is not to disparage the wonderful square dancers in Saskatoon. But interesting history. We almost need a new drop for Amazing Race history. You know, unknown history. I think I think people probably don't necessarily want a history lesson with every Amazing Race recap. That was the only thing I can think of when I think of square dancing. Well, that and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, speaking of things that are problematic. So, oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> anyway, let's go away from square dancing. I think we've called out the things we need to call out about the square dancing. We've done our square dance calls, as it were. Um, And let's swing our partners round and round to the walking in circles, because this was this was surprisingly watchable for something that is basically something you take your kid to when you go and pick pumpkins every year. When we were watching it, my daughter actually referenced the maze they did when they went to the pumpkin patch last fall. It was like, this kind of like that. It it's exactly so that. that. You brought that up. Um, but yeah, it's I actually what I really enjoyed about it was the overhead, I assume, a drone shot that they did, I, um, which where you could also sometimes see the camera and sound guys chasing them, which I thought were <laughs> awesome, was awesome. And then also there were times where they teams would be like, we're near the exit and they would cut to the overhead and Lauren and Joanne especially would be like on the other end completely of the whole thing and I'm like oh and that made it you had the little names up there moving around I don't know it was well done well edited because yeah running through a maze that's very tight and grabbing corn on the surface does not sound very thrilling but they did find a way to kind of make it make it cool. And also, being, given the fact that this was such a massive maze, 7,500 square feet, there was a potential for teams to be there a while and get very flustered. And I found that really interesting to see how flustered some teams got, even while they were finding the corn, just trying to find their way out. Yeah, you wouldn't think that this would be the thing that breaks people, but it really did in a couple of cases. Yeah, I mean, especially, I mean, you got to the situation where, one, Lauren and Joanne have found all the corn and are like, do you want to switch to the dancing? And I'm watching the TV going, oh, no, don't, <laughs> like, don't do that. And I wasn't just thinking of Team Dan, but yeah, good. How would you even quit this task? Like, do you just like throw up a flare like in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire? What happens? Don't you actually have to leave the maze in order to quit the task? So there really is no quitting it, is there? There's no port key that they can take and grab and just get out. <laughs> well, I always thought about that in terms of the express pass, because I thought about I'm like, even if they use the express pass, don't Arthi and then I still have to get out of the maze to use it. And then you're out and you're like, well, we're done. Why are we using it? So it's like, I guess if they went out the entrance. They technically would have to use the express pass. There was really problematic. It's like once you were in, I mean, you might as well just finish at that point. Yeah. Unless you couldn't find all the corns or something like if you found the exit before you found the corns, I guess you could technically quit it. But there's really once you're in, you're in. And I could see where that would feel even more stifling 
because there's not even the convenient out of the six hour penalty. Yeah. And actually, I wonder, we did not see any teams go out the exit before they had the corn. It probably happened given how flustered teams were. But I expected to see because you had that really nice guy standing there looking very happy, very excited to give them their clue. Probably like, come on, everybody, man, this is ours. You know, this is crazy. But you saw even there was a bit of a scramble when Arthur and Thinesh got out like the camera guys weren't ready. They're like, oh, shoot, we don't have the shot because they probably had to wait so long. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a real like Blair Witch shaky camera motion there. Uh, and I, I have to imagine that that task judge that waits out the exit of the maze, he probably did feel like it was a little Bush League, but he works there. Come on. If, if you don't work there, you don't know the maze. Give these people some credit. Yeah, that that was a nutso maze. And I, you know, it was something, though, where teams did kind of I mean, we saw Anthony and James got their first got out first. But beyond that, there was some shifting around of, of spots, which I thought was good because you had Sarah and Sam move up, Dave and Arena actually get out of there ahead of Lauren and Joanne. And then you have, you know, the near the end where Arthur and Vanessa are there by themselves. And I am still stunned they got through this leg without using their express pass. Do you think that they assumed it was not elimination? Because that to me, that almost seems like the only way they would do it this way. That's the only reason I can think of, unless they just sort of felt like someone else had to be further behind them. Like at that point, you, you've run into everybody else inside the maze. They have to think, well, where are Trish and Amy? Maybe they assumed Trish and Amy are much further behind us. That could be one thing. Or, yeah, maybe they just did think it's probably we're probably due for another non-elimination. I don't think anybody ever really goes there, though. I think my experience with having spoken to several former racers is that nobody ever gets that meta while they're in the moment. Like they might think about it while they're in an airport, but while you're out there on the course running the race, it never occurs to you to think, oh, well, this leg, there's probably non-elimination and people don't. I think the last time we saw somebody banking on that was like season seven back when they took all your money. Right, right. So it's it's been a long time. And, um, and also there was one thing to note when they got out of the maze, the Nesh noted that Trish and Amy's cab was still there. Mm-hmm. So likely we didn't see when they got there, but when they got there, they likely saw their cab, didn't see them in the maze and figured, oh, they must be at the dancing. And then, you know, who knows how long they were really in there. It's, it was hard to gauge how long, because I could imagine spending even just 30 minutes in the maze would feel like three hours because you're just so kind of flustered and trying to find it. But my guess is it took a lot longer to do the dancing for sure. So even though Arthi and Thinesh were getting so, well, mainly Arthi was getting so nervous, they probably were there a lot shorter time, even though we we didn't totally, that was the thing at the end. It looked like, I mean, they were kind of at the lacrosse at the same time. We didn't totally see how close they were. So I think there was a lot of creative editing there. I think they still were a decent ways ahead. Yeah, that's that's my thought. And also because both of the detour options were right there, it, made it so that it was easy enough to switch if you wanted, but it was also very easy to tell who's done already and who's still working at it. Right. So that helps a lot for sure. And that probably is why they kept it. And they even did mention when they got to the pit stop that, oh, now they want to use it next time to finish first, which, okay, I guess when it's the last leg that that can be forgiven a bit more. That's like back in the that's in the old school days of Amazing Race when you would use the fast forward to finish first on a leg. That's what it mostly looks like to me. Uh, but I, I am frankly shocked that they didn't even discuss it at any point during this leg because there were a couple of points. Like, I feel like in the mine, they were also getting tripped up and they were falling behind and it didn't it didn't seem to occur to them. But they were also at the point of the detour. What had actually happened to this leg? There wasn't that much. You could safely assume there was at least one other task in front of you and maybe even two because you've only had a detour. You haven't seen a roadblock. You've had like a couple of little stops, but it could be one of these really hella long things where there's a lot more to go. They they probably assumed that if there's another team behind them and they've got another task in front of them, even if they are next to last, they can probably make up some time on whatever the next task is. Yeah, because the show kind of yada yada the lacrosse a little bit, but that they didn't know that that's what it was going to be. That's something that seemed to be to not take very long at all. So that that's that's a really good point. And they there was a there was a confessional where he did say, um, "Well, we we thought about using the express pass. This was in the mine, 
well, we know there's going to be something harder. He probably was thinking something on the level of like the clams or something that takes hours coming up. So that's probably what they were thinking. Even in the maze, they were thinking a lot of roadblocks take hours. This could be something like that. They didn't know it would be another root info task, which by all accounts did not take very long at all. Yeah. I don't even know how much time we need to spend talking about this because it was very straightforward. I mean, I'm sure that going to see the Saskatchewan Rush is an exciting day out and fun for the whole family. But yeah, okay, got the stick, throw the ball, get it in the stick and get the ball into the target. It seems like something everybody was not struggling with. Yeah, I almost went right on to talking about the pit stop when we were talking about the detour because I almost forgot this happened. And I was like, oh, wait, no, there was another thing. I mean, most of it was, yeah, we saw a few funny throws from people and they switched. You know, Anthony and James being the leaders got to spend a little more time on screen practicing, but I'm guessing every team kind of did that. I mean, we did learn that Sarah got cut from a lot of team sports in high school. So this was a big way to overcome or that, I guess. But uh, but that was that was about it. You know, I did want to mention we kind of didn't talk about it with the dancing, but with Trish and Amy, where we talked earlier about some like stories we found about the past. And this is one where with Trish, we learn more about kind of how she got into running marathons and lost a bunch of weight and really found this new kind of dedication to that. And seeing the photos I and you kind of you don't see it that much, but I'm like, she is super strong, I mean, like ridiculously strong. And seeing that story just kind of emphasized that again. Yeah, she looks amazing. And then you kind of you can tell like both of them, they've got some serious guns. Yeah. And they're good at task, which why them again, we haven't really, really referenced it, but they finished last for the second time, which again, that because it was really to me all down to the choice of detour, I think they did as well as they likely could on it. I know Trish struggled, but it was tough. And Amy also had to do the dancing, not being able to hear that well. So there was like an extra step there for her. So that was interesting too, but they finished last, got the second non-elimination and, you know, good job. Amazing Race Canada for helping Team Dan stay afloat. Team Dan lives to fight another day. Although I, w- I will note, I did run the numbers and I've still got about 20 points on you. So unless unless my guys go out one, two, three in the next three weeks, I, I'm feeling okay about this. Well, I will say you're, t- I'm, this is not as much about drafting. This is about the teams. Anthony and James are getting like an edit for the ages right now. I mean, they get all the funny lines They that we see. We also saw Anthony's history as a cheerleader where he, he called a team sport, which, you know, sure, I agree. I'm on it. But, and I'm not saying they're getting an edit like they aren't good people. They seem like great people, but they're also getting the type of edit you're going to see Sarah and Sam the same way. So I think you're going to be okay. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) I don't want to go into predictions, but I'll just say, I don't think one of those teams is going out next week. I don't know. Yeah, I I think comfortably we're going to see one of those teams in the finals. I don't know which one yet, but I really liked that we're getting more of James and Anthony because they're just so much fun. In fact, one of the comparisons that I was seeing a lot like out in Reddit, uh, people were comparing them to Team Fun, which I thought was appropriate. The way they kind of can do this huge variety of things and they have a story to match every time. And that also made me think of the Mickey and Pete edit where we were learning a lot about them, even if they weren't necessarily perceived as the strongest team throughout their season. And then all of a sudden it was like every task they hit, one of them would have a story about how they used to do that for a living. And I think we're getting some of that from Anthony and James. And you know, it worked out okay for Mickey and Pete. So I think they're going to be fine too. Yeah. I mean, if you look at their placements, it's um, sixth, sixth, third, sixth, second, first. Hmm. I'm sensing a good pattern there, (laughs) but also I want to mention um, Anthony's response when they won the trip to Costa Rica for immediately just yelled turtles. (laughs) I guess that was the thing. I thought, did I hear that right? And also they want a year of free gas. Now this isn't up with the lifetime of free gas, which they used to get from Petro-Canada, but still a year of free gas. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, and I'm sure that the Shell Corporation is feeling like they got off easy because Petro Canada is still paying for all that free gas for the Tims. 
<laughs> That's true. The Tims are like, you know, John was really big on make sure you top off those tanks. Actually, John had a very weird Matt experience, I felt like, during the pit stop. Like, John, first he had this really weird question about integrity yes. that, that he asked. He said it in a weird, like his voice, he felt very uncomfortable. But he said in this voice, like, but I thought he was going to ask Sarah and Sam. And like, he's asking them about integrity right in front of Dave and Arena. But no, he's asking Arena about it. And then she said something like, it's good to talk or something. And she played it off well. And you can see those two teams seem to get along really well. They actually, we mentioned Huggate last week a little bit. But like Sarah gave Arena a hug. Those teams seemed real happy to be there. But his question was so out of left field and seemed really strange to me. Like, it's like, John, don't. He's trying to kind of talk, I guess, I think they're trying to present the narrative of what makes a good show and not taking penalties. And maybe he thought they were going to say something about, oh, we didn't take a penalty, so we tried harder. But that's not how they took it at all. Yeah. And he had that kind of that that very stilted speech about conflict. And it was like, wow, John, stay in your lane, man. I, I mean, I thought I thought that Phil Kogan was awkward when he had to mediate disputes between the teams. But this is like a whole other level. It's not a good look. I, I think John should stick to what he's good at. Also, there was a weird cut in voiceover of him talking about next leg. They have to use the express pass. That was very odd. Where like he was talking to Arthur Thanesh and then it cut away and you heard a very clear voice of John saying, <laughs> and you can only use your express pass till the next leg. And then it came back to him saying, good luck next week or something. And I was like, what is going on? So I don't know. I hate to over. This is what happens when the legs not as like packed. You end up talking about things like this. Well, Dan, this is what happens when you watch 40 plus seasons of The Amazing Race is you start to hear how they edit things and you can't unhear it and you can't go back to just watching the show and enjoying it. You will hear every Frankenbite that comes your way. Exactly. It's worth going back to watch that clip because his his like tone of speaking, he's usually pretty natural, but his tone of speaking is very strange this week. And so and it was last week, too. But that was more because he was, you know, giving out the penalty takers that he was doing. But at least he had a little bit of that high horse thing. This was something different. But I guess are we ready? Ready for questions here? I think we're ready for questions. All right. Let me see what we got here. Um, all right. This was an interesting question um, from Melissa Woodward. Should Arthur and Thinesh lie to the other teams? That they use their express pass to get out of the maze, which would then take the target off their back next week. Or does the threat of the using the express pass help them more? Does anybody actually remember that they still have that express pass? Yeah, John does, but they had to do a voiceover to make him remember. He didn't even remember on the mat. Um, yeah, I wonder. I don't think that's going to be a bit. We do. Here's an interesting thing, though. We have a face-off next week. So this could be a weird case where they use the express pass and then get stopped at the face-off, which I would find, given how much they want to finish first, they, they might be first to the face-off, but then... Um, who knows? Maybe then it won't help them as much as they think. This is like season 27 of the U.S. version where um, Tanner and Josh used their express pass and then there was a big bunching point right afterwards. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. And I don't know. It's just an interesting thing. I, if they're smart and can you use the express pass on a face off? That's a good question. I feel like <laughs> I would definitely try if I'm like one of the first two teams at the at the face off. Sure. I can't imagine that they would stop you. Yeah, because basically you're just saying, hey, we win this. You move on. The next two teams play. But that might be the best point to use it if they want to finish first, because then I mean, I don't know. It's just in a sense, you know, you're going to at least be ahead by 20 minutes or something. But maybe that's most face offs are not super long matchups because the show can't do one hour matches seven times or something. That, that's true. And there's usually another task, at least in the Canadian version, there's usually another task after that. So there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to ace whatever's coming next. But I guess that's true in any leg. And they've been making that gamble every other time. Right. So I think it's an interesting question, but probably not going to happen. Uh, probably not. But I, I think they got to use it at some point. I, or they don't have to use it. They can probably just give it to John at the end of the leg and be like, yeah, I didn't need it. We're in front. So it'll be interesting to see what they decide to skip. And I want to talk about that face off for a second because we have gotten so many hours of enjoyment out of Phil and Martina and their Dempster's product placement videos this season. and. I guess CTV heard our praises of this segment and decided that they needed to just inject it into the actual show. My question is, are Phil and Martina going to be there? Yeah, maybe Phil can teach him how to make that burger that he made last. <laughs> but, you know, 
<laughs> the first week. Um, it actually almost looks like they're in the same studio, which it I does. doubt it. I don't I don't think that's where the studio is, but it's set up exactly the same way. Even in the preview, John says something about face off about the taste of the race. And you see a giant Dempster sign. I'm like, oh, my goodness. But um, but, you know, this has been to me the most product placement heavy season that I can remember, unless I'm just forgetting. I mean, we don't have the BMO every week, but there's still a lot of it. But to do it in a face-off, I do appreciate, though, that this looks like a face-off that is not sports, which could make it for make it a little more interesting for teams. Yeah, I like the out-of-the-box thinking. And, you know, some of the some of the face-offs have been things like bar games or like you have to play darts or something that's a little less intensely physical that anybody could theoretically win. But this feels like we're swerving in an entirely other direction that is going to be fun to watch. Although we're still not topping the best face-off of all time, which happened in Amazing Race Israel when the teams had to play strip poker. (laughs) Can you imagine that on Amazing Race Canada? That seems like the least (laughs) Amazing Race Canada thing we would ever see. Everybody, if they played that, everybody would be wearing like the long underwear with the the flaps in the back. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's going to be something. Yeah, because if you think about what they've done in the past, we're not going to go through all of them. They did darts last season. They've done curling. I think they did volleyball, Um, you know, things like that. That's typically what we get. But so this is this is going to be interesting. It looks like they're prepping food in some way. I thought maybe it was sushi, but I'm not entirely clear. I haven't studied it, but it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I guess what else do we have about this week? Oh, well, let's see. I liked this question from Alicia. Were you guys as surprised as I was to see Arthi freak out like she did? I guess, though, she is the more high strung of the pair. I didn't see her as the type to crack under pressure. I think so. I wasn't that surprised. And it's not nothing against Arthi at all. But there have been a few cases in past legs where she gets a little frustrated and the show has made sure to point out that, you know, he's the chill one and she's the one who gets a little more ramped up. So it does kind of make sense. I didn't think that what would get her would would be this maze. But I think it was also probably cumulative. And it's a big part of it is where they were placement wise because they finished so high most weeks. I think more than the task itself. It was the fact they got this express pass and they they finished second or higher the last four weeks. So and they're they're thinking we don't want to be last. So I think that I also think, too, the express pass, having it with you almost adds extra stress because then you're like, do we use it? Do we not? Do we use it? And that probably freaked her out a little bit more. Yeah, it's true. It's not it's not something that I would have expected out of her. And I think part of that is because she's been so competent as a racer. Like You don't see her kind of the dead weight of the team. She's been a very equal partner as far as a competitor. And so you don't think that she's going to have the emotions get the best of her. And I think in that, in that regard, I'm going to draw a really weird comparison here. I think that Arthi and Tanesh are the Brendan and Rachel of this race, because I think they are very, very good racers. And I think she is the more emotional of the pair who kind of wears her heart on on her sleeve and could actually go into a full meltdown at some point during this race, but turns out to be a pretty competent racer and can get ahead in that regard. And certainly they're not as over the top as Brendan and Rachel. And I think Arthi is a little bit more down to earth, but I think she does kind of have the same emotions right close to the surface that we've seen out of Rachel. Um, I don't expect her to start sobbing that the Amazing Race is supposed to be fun and good, but we could see something close to that, I think. And meanwhile, I've got a very old school comparison that I saw on one of the various discussion boards I monitor. Um, The comparison of Dave and Arena to Flo and Zach, which kind of blew my mind because I think that is fairly apt. I think Arena is a very emotional racer who is content to let her partner do all of the heavy lifting. And and she has stepped up and done roadblocks. She has participated when it counts, but she's also doesn't have a clear grasp on what her role on the show is and isn't able to separate her personal emotions from what is going on around her and has, you know, wanted to quit various tasks at various points, which feels very flow esque. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think I think that connects well. I mean, I think that Dave, while serving as the Zach in certain ways, Zach didn't seem to I know he wanted to win and he kind of kept him afloat, but he he was he was very like, I don't want to get 
full upset. I'm going to kind of chill until he eventually was like, okay, I've had enough. Where I think Dave is more competitive, like, you know, intensely competitive. But his relationship with her, it's a little different, too, because Zach and Flo weren't dating or Mm -hmm. weren't married. But like we mentioned, Dave's really good at supporting his partner. And I think the connection between somebody who's really into the show and a partner that's not as much and kind of doesn't like being like Arena said this week, doesn't like being out of her comfort zone. It um it works. And the other one, I think you make a I like the comparison with Brendan and Rachel with Arthi and Thinesh. And like yeah, Arthi has actually done four of the seven roadblocks. So this is definitely not a case where she's not pulling her weight at all. And also I don't think it's gonna be a case where you have a sixty year old man yelling, I hate I hate Arthi and Thinesh or anything. <laughs> but and running around and everyone trying to get them out. I think they're very well liked. But um, and I actually think this week turning going fifth might have helped them to not stand out as such big threats. Maybe I mean not that they because they had done so well, but it's going to be interesting to see where they go because after they use their express pass, I'm assuming they don't get eliminated next week. Then we're really getting into the nitty gritty. Legs eight and not or eight nine and ten, I guess, because one of those three will be a non elimination or a super leg. That's where if you're going to get overly like overly nervous and stressed and ramped up that's where it's going to come usually final five is when we see a team just melt down so we're going to see i don't know it's going to be interesting i have one more for you here jess which is um we talked about it a little bit but if you had to rank this is from michaela if you had to rank exotic clue box locations where would the local shell station rank in terms of near the top of course of your rankings it's clearly the most exotic outside the box clue box placement we've ever had on the show Duh. <laughs> it's up there you know it's 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 up there with the mall that we had a few weeks ago <laughs> <laughs> it's not even like the mall in edmonton that anybody goes to <laughs> it's the closed mall that's being torn down no um yeah the one that i asked this partially because it, i just wanted to bring up the task from season three where teams got to go to petro canada two mentions in one episode petro canada <laughs> convenience store and got to spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Two hundred fifty. They had to spend two hundred fifty thousand points in ninety seconds. It was almost like supermarket sweep, where they had to basically <laughs> yes. get all these things. But again, it was kind of a fun task. But the main thing was okay. They're doing a task in Alberta that's in a gas station convenience store. So we're in that level here. But I feel like at least then we got to do something fun rather than just watch an iPad. Yeah, that's that's true. There was. They should have had to have some kind of skill component in order to get the family reward or something like that. So I had one question here that I think is a funny idea. And Dan, you read this and you were like WTF. So I'm going to I think I'm going to explain what I think that the question is intended to be asking. So Derek asks, are they allowed to leave traces with corn grains? And then I see Dan's note. I don't understand this question. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what it means. I think what he means is while you're in the maze collecting the corn, could you break off pieces of the corn and leave it in the maze so that you know which way you already went? Oh, like Hansel and Gretel kind of thing. Yeah. That's brilliant. I th- I want to see Derek on this show now. That's some that's some great strategic thinking. Somebody had to have thought of that, right? You don't you think? think? You would think or you could <laughs> even like You've got a piece of paper with your clue on it, like tear the clue up into little bits and litter. Yeah, that's actually good. There's got to be like, what if like some teams bring little notebooks and they write like, I think they write down where they went and stuff for like a memory task. Could you just tear some papers out of that notebook and then just lead them around where you're going? I don't know. Would you have enough paper for that much of a maze though? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's a pretty good sized maze. So it's, you know, it's the size of like, eight new york city apartments yeah it's it's not they need a lot of paper you need you don't just need a little notebook that's that's true so maybe that's not necessarily practical but you know there's a lot of grains on an ear of corn that is true it might have worked so i think that's it unless do we have more questions we want to address um i think we are pretty much We've covered just about everything else people ask. And I want to thank everybody for sending in the questions this week, especially after last week where we had like seven single spaced pages of questions just because it was so bonkers. It was nice that people still found enough things to question and discuss. Um, and there are little bits we could talk about. We could talk about Dave stopping to pet a pig or we could talk about <laughs> the weird typographical nightmare that is the logo design of the Raimi Modern. But I think... I'm good stopping here. I did want to give one 
little housekeeping shout out. Um, we wanted to send extreme thanks and appreciation to our listener, John John, who sent us a weirder Canadian audio drop that we love. And we are going to play it for you as soon as we have another weirder Canadian moment. But nobody did anything weird that could have plausibly been Canadian this week. They just did some weird things. And we're like, well, we know that's not Canadian. That's just weird. So we thought we better wait until we have an actual segment where we can discuss it. And hopefully that'll be next week. Yeah, I, I assume that it, we would not be able to use that just for petting a large pig would not be enough. That would not fall under weird or Canadian. I know plenty of Americans who would pet a large pig. <laughs> sounds sounds very strange, actually, now that I say that. But um, yeah, hey, it was a fun moment. I, I liked it. I thumbs up to Dave for that. Yeah, that was great. It was also it's a side of Dave that we haven't seen before. And there was some kind of unbridled joy there that I think kind of says a lot about who he is and the fact that he is a super fan of the show and he really is there to have a good time. Sometimes that doesn't come across. So it was great to see that come across here. Definitely. And they finished third. So they're they're hanging in there. I, I think all things are all things are coming up. Arena and Dave. <laughs> Possibly. All right. Well, fun episode. Let's hope for better next week. Yes, indeed. So a little bit of housekeeping before we wrap up. We frequently get people up in our DMs and on the Twitters asking us, how do I watch The Amazing Race Canada if I myself am not Canadian? They have rightly noted that Dan and I are just a couple of damn Yankees and we're watching it and recapping it and enjoying the hell out of it. And so I'm here to tell you, it is not always easy to track down Amazing Race Canada if you're not Canadian, but there are a number of solutions. And obviously you could just fly to Canada like we do, but that gets expensive. So the most practical piece of advice that I can give you is that you should become a patron of Rob Has a Podcast. Our HEP patrons receive a number of perks, including including access to a secret patron-only Facebook group where you can connect with other fans and talk about all things reality TV, including methods to watch Amazing Race Canada. And in fact, usually one of our intrepid patrons posts a link to view it in the group shortly after each episode airs. So if you like the show, at the very least, I hope you have subscribed and you can find new episodes of this podcast in the Reality TV Rehap Ups feed or in the Rob Has Podcast Amazing Race feed. We love getting feedback from all of our listeners, and there's lots of ways you can do that, too. You can leave us a review in the iTunes store, which helps us out and helps other people find the podcast. I guess as long as it's a good review. You can keep the bad reviews to yourself. Okay. You can leave a comment on the page for this episode on robhiswebsite.com, or you can find us at social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at HaymakerHattie. And I am at the Dan Heaton. And I also do a podcast about theme parks called the Tomorrow Society Podcast. Lots of interviews with people that have worked behind the scenes and other very smart people. And you can find out at tomorrowsociety.com. And thanks to everyone for the comments. The comments section at Rob at a website really took off last week and um, keep them coming. And you can find some of the other stuff that I'm doing out in the world over at primetimer.com where I occasionally contribute feature articles. Uh, most recently, I compared a, another great Canadian series, albeit one easier to find here in the States. Uh, I wrote about the sitcom Working Moms and compared it to an Australian import called The Letdown. And these two things are basically the same show, but they're both really excellent and well worth your time, especially if you are a new parent. I think you'll find a lot in both of these shows that'll speak to you. And so I compared the two and gave you a primer for where you should go to watch first. And I've got some more stuff coming out on Prime Timer again in the near future. And we'll talk about those things as they come up. And don't forget to check out everything else that's happening in the Rob Has a Podcast universe. We have coverage of Big Brother pretty much every day of the week. And we're also covering Bachelor in Paradise, Survivor South Africa, and a host of other shows. So that's about it for us. I'd like to thank Dan Heaton once again for joining me on Canada's favorite summertime adventure. And Rob Sesternino for giving us a platform. Saskatoonian Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. All of the patrons of Rob has a podcast and all of our listeners around the world. Take care, everyone. We'll see you right back here next week. 